Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, shutdown solution. They have a message. They have a message for the Prime Minister. They have a message for Canadians. Uh, but it's a one of peace. Um, and it's one where they're willing to live in peace. Um, and in conditions of, of respect and cooperation. Um, and that's going to take a lot of work. Blockades related to the BC natural gas pipeline force Via Rail to shut down all trains and CN Rail to close off its eastern network. Is the government doing enough to find a solution as the economic crisis deepens? Should the police move in to enforce the court orders or should they negotiate? Do these protests prove that natural resource projects just cannot be completed in Canada? Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller is here after that marathon meeting, plus the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, weighs in with his views, and Pam Palmer joins us to debate the way forward on the scrum. And then, China fears. This is a very evolving situation, and we know that uh, different restrictions could be imposed over time. The number of coronavirus cases continues to surge as quarantine rules spread to other Chinese cities. How has China handled the crisis and has cooperation with China really paved a way to deal with controversial issues like the imprisonment of two Canadians? We have an exclusive interview with the Chinese ambassador to Canada. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. No breakthrough yet as the political, legal and economic crises over the coastal gas link pipeline escalates. Right now, via rail lines across the country are shut down and have been shut down since Thursday. So is CN's Eastern Network, disrupting shipments of key supplies. Politicians have been prevented from entering legislatures. In a controversial press conference where he told protesters to check the privilege, Andrew Scheer has now demanded that Justin Trudeau direct the RCMP to enforce the law and remove the protesters. Here's what he said. Do the right thing, Prime Minister Trudeau. We cannot allow a small number of activists to hold our economy hostage and threaten thousands of jobs. Pick up the phone and tell Minister Blair to put an end to this situation. So the dispute centers around some hereditary chiefs of the wet sweat nations and their supporters who are protesting the coastal link gas pipeline in British Columbia. Now the pipeline was given the green light by the provincial NDP government, has the support of all the elected chiefs of the wet sweat and first nations, including some but not all of the hereditary chiefs. Now that has sparked solidarity protests across the country, including in Belleville, Tyendinaga, just about two hours east of Toronto, where a key rail line is being blockaded. Yesterday, the Minister of Indigenous Services, Mark Miller, spent nine hours meeting with Mohawk leaders at the blockade to try to negotiate a settlement. So far, there's no change. So what is the way forward? Should the police move in, as Andrew Scheer has demanded, or will that further inflame the situation? And what precedent could all this set for other projects like Trans Mountain Pipeline? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of Indigenous Services, Mark Miller. Minister, thanks for joining us. Uh, yesterday, you had this nine-hour meeting. Um, everyone's asking, when, since you've emerged, is there a way forward to end the blockade? Yes, um, but it isn't going to be easy. Uh, we've gone from zero to rhetoric and vitriol in this situation. And um, the question I asked myself coming out of the meeting is, who are we as Canadians and what do we believe in? 30 years ago, uh, police moved in um, in Ganesatagi and uh, someone died. Someone died. And uh, did we learn from that? Did we learn from Ipperwash? You know, it's clear the country's suffering. It's clear the economy's suffering. There's shortages. 
and it'll only get worse if this continues. Uh, but the question I ask myself and I ask Canadians is, who are we as uh, a people? What do we believe in? Do we believe in peace uh, and dialogue with people that we uh, don't necessarily agree with? Or do we just uh, invoke, and these all, these all start with injunctions. And uh, but, when but police, when police go in, they, yeah. they exercise discretion and they, we've learned from IPRA wash. Um, and, and, and the challenge I ask myself at the end of the day is, do we use all means uh, to ensure that there's a peaceful resolution to this? Or do we just dig in like we've done uh, for years and decades and come to the same conclusion? We keep repeating the same errors. And so my advice uh, to my colleagues is uh, let's ensure that we get to a peaceful solution. That involves dialogue. Yesterday I went in. People were very suspicious. The people there are under stress. They're under fear. And let me say they're very good people that are there. Uh, they believe in peace. They fundamentally believe in peace. Their great law of peace is, is founded uh, on, uh, on, on that issue. Um, but they believe deeply that they've been hurt, uh, and now they're standing in solidarity with uh, Wet'suwet'en in BC uh, on substantially similar issues. And so um, my advice coming out of this is um, we need to keep that dialogue open. We but need to keep long? talking. You, like, like a lot of people, and I appreciate this, but na the, the economic situation has, has created an urgency, and there's two things. One, the government has to enforce rule of law or stand for the rule of law, and two, there's an economic imperative. So how long, in your view, can this dialogue go for, and what is the way? Again, the dialogue can continue without the blockade. How, when does the blockade go down so the dialogue on a productive level can continue? So Evan, I'm, I'm dealing uh, with a highly volatile situation. I uh, don't have a luxury in dealing with what ifs. I, I'm dealing in what about now. And now we engage in dialogue, uh, peaceful, open dialogue, and see if we can make some headway. That includes, to your question, significant progress in BC. We need to move out there and engage uh, with the leadership in BC, get people together, have those difficult discussions, and see if we can make some headway. Um, so if it's resolved in BC, does this, if the wet sweating issue in BC is resolved, does, it, does the blockade come down and tie into Nega-Belleville? I'm confident we can make significant progress if that happens. Uh, there are a number of elements that need to fall into place before we uh, get into entertaining that scenario, uh, but that involves full engagement of the government on these issues, full engagement and open and, and clear dialogue. What was Full engagement means for a lot of people, get the Prime Minister there. You're the Minister of Indigenous Services. Where's the, the Wet'suwet'en have asked for a dialogue with the Prime Minister. Apparently he's going to Bermuda tomorrow. Is the Prime Minister going to, or Barbados, is, the, is he going to cancel that trip and meet with the Wet'suwet'en or meet with the folks you met with, uh, Mohawk? There's a lot of things that need to happen, Evan. I had a discussion with the Prime Minister both before and, and after uh, my meeting. Uh, he's fully engaged on this issue. Uh, he has full confidence in the people he's asking to go out there, including Minister Bennett. Uh, that takes full engagement from uh, the B.C. Premier and, and the provincial government. Um, but Canadians... Uh, should know that we're, we're we're fully engaged in resolving this in a peaceful fashion and um but is there a timeline you you know that's going to be the question is there a timeline for the next meeting with i mean you had nine hour meeting when's the next meeting people will want to know what's the timeline to get this there are communication channels that are open today they'll right. be we'll be engaging with uh, leadership today hopefully we can come to a fixed meeting where where we can uh, continue that dialogue and um and have an open discussion but you got no indication of when the blockade could come down what became obvious to me, Evan, during my meeting yesterday, is no one had actually gone in and talked to these guys. Uh, we'd taken positions, we'd posted, we'd tweeted. Um, you have leaders with vitriolic statements that are inflammatory and make the situation worse. Um, armchair quarterbacks. We stopped dialoguing as, a, na as a nation. Are referring to Andrew Shear? Uh, just on that, I'm serious. When Andrew Shear said, check your privilege to the protesters, 
Was that inflammatory? Did you get feedback on that during your meeting? I did, and um, there's vitriol out there. Uh, the biggest challenge we face is, is fear and ignorance uh, and lack of knowledge. And we can't educate ourselves unless we go in there and see what people that we don't necessarily agree with and have deep-seated grievances against Canada that go back since before Canada was created um, and discuss those issues uh, as grown-ups. So what's your message to Premier Kenny and Andrew Scheer? Andrew Scheer says, get government, your job is to enforce the rule of law, Tell the R instruct the RCMP to end the blockade. Jason Kenny says, get engaged and, and follow the rule of law, this is a lawless country. What do you say to them? Look, I'm a guy who practiced law for 10 years. I have uh, two law degrees, two jurisdictions in which I'm accredited to practice. Uh, the rule of law is very important to me. I also served for four years in the Army uh, during the 90s. So I know when things go wrong. Uh, my statement to them is uh, let's not get absorbed by fear and ignorance. Let's realize our mistakes from the past and make sure they don't happen again because this problem is not going away anytime soon. And if we don't uh, solve it the right way, peaceful, open dialogue, it's going to come back again and again and again with the major infrastructures projects that we need and uh, to, to get our, 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 our resources to markets. Uh, these are, these are well, challenging the issues. concern that this is going to happen again with other projects. And I, got, I just got a couple seconds, but uh, we're not going to resolve all those issues. When's your best uh, guess as to when the blockade can end so some other issues maybe have a, more, uh, a better opportunity to be, to be talked about? I'm in zero position to guess at this point. I'm in the possession to do, and that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm engaging with Mohawk leadership. My colleagues are engaging with Wet'suwet'en leadership, and that's what needs to be done if we're going to lead this to a, a peaceful resolution. That's what Canadians expect with us, and that's what we expect as a country. All right, I've got to leave it there. I look forward to the next meeting. Mr. Miller, thank you for coming in. I Thanks, appreciate Evan. it very much. Coming up, what is the way forward? Is this a protest dry run for other potential blockades over projects like the Trans Mountain Pipeline. The National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Belgar, drops in next. Stay right here with Question Period. Freedom of expression and peaceful protest are among the most fundamental and cherished of all rights in a democracy such as Canada and must be respected and protected. However, I have to say that I am deeply concerned about protests that deliberately prevent the operation of railways through illegal activity. Indigenous rights activists have been out in full force across the country this week, stopping trains, snarling traffic, and preventing some politicians and government officials from getting to work. Now, the protests are all in support of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, or some of them in British Columbia, who say they were not properly consulted about this multi-billion dollar natural gas pipeline that crosses through their territory. The NDP government in BC supports the project. So do all of the elected chiefs along the pipeline routes, but not all of the hereditary chiefs. But as tensions escalate, questions are mounting about who should get the final approval and what is the way forward. Let's find out. Joining me now is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Belgar. National Chief, always good to see you. Nine-hour meeting with the Mohawks, uh, Minister Miller, who was just on the program. Yeah. Not a lot of progress. Uh, do you support the use of blockades to to engender meetings? I would say, first of all, I want to lift up uh, Minister Mark. You know, the Crown has an obligation to get out there to meet with the nations and tribes. And so it's modest progress going forward. He's got to come back to the Prime Minister and Cabinet and, and make, you know, the full report back. So it's starting to move in the right direction because we want to see respectful, peaceful dialogue 
to get the resolvement to this issue here going forward. So I want to lift up the Crown because they have the obligation to do that. So Minister Mark Miller's gone out to the Haudenosaunee. Uh, Minister Callum Bennett's gone out to meet with the chiefs in northern BC. You have to keep those processes going. Sorry, I, when, when Premier Jason Kenney says enforce the law, get the trains moving. When Andrew Scheer says check your privilege, protesters, call in the RCMP, what's your response to them? I would say the proper exercise of police discretion should not be viewed as lack of enforcement. And so you have to look, lift up and respect the OPP you know, to, for using proper discretion. It's not up to politicians to direct, get this done. They have, operational-wise, they have to use proper discretion. And you're going to resolve this through peaceful dialogue. That's what's got to happen, no question. So you have to be careful on what the inflammatory statements are being made. And, and as, as far as privilege, let's clarify, we have to clarify this statement. Is it the privilege of 1,200 missing murdered Indigenous women and girls that Mr. Shear is referring to? Or is it the 40,000 children in foster care? Or is it the homelessness and poverty facing First Nations people? Or the caps on, 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 on education and health care? Like the privilege piece. Like You were insulted we, we, by that comment? Well, basically, you, you can't make statements that pit groups of people against groups of people. I think this is really a time when it, it, leaders should be looking at ways to bring people together, processes that, that unite people but rather than divide chief, okay, people. Chief, so you I, can't I, I make get, statements I, like that. So uh, we, I, I would say it's coming together because we're all in this together as Canadian people, you know, as First Nations people and, okay, and non-Indigenous people. So we've chief, got to work together. I, I get all that, but you know the pressure is enormous on the government because when Via Rail closes down its entire mm. passenger network, when CN closes its eastern network, the economic pressure is massive and it is growing. You say it's time for dialogue. The clock is ticking. How long till dialogue? How long is their patience? What if this lasts we, another week or a month? What happens? You know, Evan, like, we totally get the inconvenience. You know, people are trying to go to school, trying to go to work, trying to get home. We, we totally get that. And then yet on the other side, these are long-standing issues, you know, dealing with proper, for, I wouldn't even call them land claims, land restoration. Your restoration of land back to the original owners and inhabitants. These have been going on for hundreds of years. And there has to be calm, there's got to be dialogue because they haven't been dealt with. I, I, and but, so but that you and peace, I have talked about this. I get, yeah. but, but is those issues are not going to be resolved uh, in enough time to get you know, the blockade. So my question to you is, what is the way forward to begin a resolution on those issues without blockades and holding up the economy? That's the big question it's right now. It's all dialogue. So all sides got to come together for dialogue. That's what's got to happen. You know, and the thing I always say to people, like, we can't give up on, on being human beings. We can't give up on kindness and respect and working together to build this country. We can't give up on reconciliation. We can't give up on treaties and peaceful coexistence and mutually benefiting from sharing the land and resource wealth. We can't give up on what that. What do you say we to politicians to who forward. are asking, what about the rule of law when there's a court order or a court injunction, when the economy is being held Evan, up? Evan, I've always said it this way. When people use that term rule of law and you start peeling it back, then you start finding out, oh, there's elements of colonialism here. And then we say, whose law? Like right now, it's sad, but in 2020, the RCMP and the OPP and other police forces, they're sworn to uphold only two forms of law, common law, and then in the province of Quebec, civil law. And, and we're saying there's other laws in place that have been in place far long before those ones, which is creator's law, you're, natural you're, law, First Nations I, I agree, law. So you, no, I've got to make this okay, point. Go ahead. Because 
that's until you deal with another government and jurisdiction and other forms of law and governance structures in Canada, you're going to keep having conflict. So there has to be processes. And we've won tons of court, Supreme Court decisions, but the legislative and the executive branch of governments have not kept up with proper policies to respect title Le rights and jurisdiction. That's what's got to change. Legitimate, but is, is the best way to do that to blockade and, and shut down rail lines and I guess the I, question is for, for a lot no, of people are going to know is, the, is this a is this a dry run sir for what's going to happen national no. chief on Trans Mountain in Evan, other words people can't build anything what I say is this is that you know like even when you use the word blockade and protests inflammatory words I use political activism you know and, and you want to bring about change it's political activists and and people should not be criminalized for defending their rights and title and jurisdiction but is and there their a, but biggest obligation is to protect land and waters that's first nations obligation but, I, but so there's lots of protest the right to protest exists no one doubts it but do you support the right to 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 block uh, just that you and political know that activism should not be criminalized you know, gathering should not be criminalized. And so I'm going to keep coming back right. to that space, and I'm going to always but keep that saying... Means, so are you going to legitimize blocking trains that may have this kind of deleterious effect in the What I'm saying is, is that you should not be criminalizing people okay. for standing up for the rights, title, and jurisdiction. And I'm going to come back to this point about we're human beings. Let's not give up on each other. Kindness, respect, dialogue, moving forward is the best way to resolve this. We can't give up on reconciliation, and we can't give up on building a better country together where all people can benefit from the land and resources. Well, we'll we have to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. We're in a, a very a critical moment and your voice very important National Chief. Thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right coming up hundreds of Canadians are now in quarantine after being evacuated from China. Did tensions with China play a part in the repatriation delay? Plus what will it take to secure the release of two Canadians in Chinese detention? Can China guarantee Huawei is safe to operate in Canada? We have an exclusive interview with the Chinese ambassador to Canada coming up next. You don't want to miss it. Stay with Question Period. I have not received information that we still have Canadians there would like to be repatriated. We were very clear last time that the second Canadian flight would be, uh, the last flight would be chartered to bring back Canadians. More than 400 Canadians are in quarantine at a military base in Ontario after being repatriated from the epicenter of the coronavirus in China. But now that they're home, there are real questions about why it took the government so long, longer than its allies like the U.S. and Britain, to evacuate citizens from the hot zone. Did Ottawa's strained relationship with Beijing over the detention of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou and the tensions around Huawei becoming part of Canada's next generation of wireless make it more difficult for Canadian planes to land? And will Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, the two Canadians who've been in Chinese detention for over a year, ever come home? Let's find out. Joining me now is China's ambassador to Canada, Chung Peiyu. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Ambassador, the numbers of those infected with the coronavirus in China are escalating very dramatically in the last couple of days. And you had senior U.S. officials like Larry Kudlow who have said, quote, they are, I'm using his words, disappointed by the lack of transparency of your government about the real numbers. Why do the numbers keep jumping up? First, I would like to tell you under the strong leadership of President Xi Jinping and the central government, we have taken the most vigorous and comprehensive measures to fight against the epidemic. For the new confirmed cases outside of Hubei province, it's on decrease 
for 10 days in a row. That's up to uh, February the 13th. And uh, you mentioned some increased number that was in uh, Hubei province in recent days. And that's because of the uh, revised standard for diagnosis. And uh, that means the more patients can be treated at an early date. So that's good for cutting the spread of the virus. So when it comes to the uh, figures, they are transparent, and uh, I think we are also approaching the uh, issue with transparency and openness from the very beginning. The U.S., again, have said there's a lack of transparency, and you and Canadians, people in China, are reading stories about transparency, about the doctor, the 34-year-old doctor who first warned of the virus, who was then harassed by police for doing so in December. He, unfortunately, has now passed away from the virus. Then there are bloggers who have taken videos of what's going on in Wuhan, as you know, Fang Bin and Chen Kishi, who have disappeared in the last two weeks. There's been reports of that. What does that tell the world about how China is handling the transparency about this, sir? For the doctor who had passed away, of course, we are saddened you know, by the news. And uh, he's a good doctor you know, who dedicated himself to protecting the people's health. Uh, for the uh, transparency, I'd say that at the very early stage of the uh, epidemic's outbreak, it's uh, for people, we have to have a deepening understanding of the uh, situation. So for the governments, when it comes to make decision, it should be based on those scientific factors rather than just a few individual cases. The Canadian ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, was at a committee here and he said that the relationship between Canada and China, even though we're cooperating on the coronavirus, uh, is very strained, especially around the Huawei executive, Meng Wanzhou, and the two Michaels who have been imprisoned. Has the strained relationship between the two countries in any way impacted Canada's ability to get Canadians out of Wuhan? For China, we uh, value very much the health and uh, safety you know, of the people, whether it's uh, Chinese citizens or uh, foreigners living in China. So we have done our best to assist Canada in uh, helping those citizens you know, back in uh, Canada. And I think the Canadian side also gave us you know, good comments on that. Okay. Um, when the ambassador said the relationship is strained, how would you characterize the Canadian-Chinese relationship right now? You know, this year marks the 50th anniversary of our diplomatic ties. So actually from the past five decades, one of the important lessons we have learned that we should grow the, grow the relationship on the basis of equality and mutual respect. So here, our relationship is in difficulties because something done by the Canadian side. So our position is very clear and we do hope that the Canadian side will take our concerns seriously and take measures to make sure that the relationship are back on track because that's good to our two peoples. Sir, I know you're referring to the extradition uh, of Meng Wanzhou, the, the Huawei executive. The Canadian position is we are following the rights-based, human rights-based rule of law. She is being held because we have a, a treaty with the United States. She has access to lawyers. She's in a very safe place, as she herself has said, and the process will play out. Canada is obliged to do that. On the other hand, you've heard it many times. China is widely seen as retaliating 
accusing two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, of spying, throwing them in a prison, not giving them access to legal counsel, 24 hours of daylight, taking away their reading glasses. And that's been seen as a bullying tactic. How do you justify the imprisoning those two Canadians when Canada says it's simply following its obligations under an extradition treaty? The nature of these cases are different. So for Meng's case, we have maintained from the very beginning, it's not a judicial case at all. It's a serious political incident plotted by the United States. And Canada also uh, uh, kind of uh, misused the uh, uh, extradition treaty between Canada and the United States. How so, sir? It's uh, like, you know, uh, uh, detained Madame Meng, you know, on groundless charges. So that's why, you know, we express our opposition to that because we are supposed to uh, make sure that we safeguard the uh, legitimate rights of our citizens and individuals. And for the two Canadian citizens, the cases you mentioned, our competent authorities are handling that according to law and their legitimate rights are protected. So there's do nothing they have like access, the... Do they have access to legal counsel the way Meng Wanzhou does? I think their legal rights are protected. So there's nothing like mistreatment. It's just the hype up of the stories. Hype up? Yeah. You know the United Nations says 24 hours a day of sunlight, taking away reading glasses, no accessing to legal authorities is not hyped up. It's a violation of human rights. That's somebody's account. But for us, I have made it clear. Their legal rights have been uh, preserved. There's nothing like the mistreatment for those two citizens of Canada. Canadians are worried that more Canadians, there might be a retaliation, for example, on the Huawei decision. The United States is pressing Canada very strongly to reject accepting Huawei as part of Canada's next generation wireless, the so-called 5G. They say they will cut off intelligence sharing and they are Canada's closest ally because they allege there's a long history of state-sponsored and corporate espionage and that Huawei is a danger to our security. What do you say to that? Huawei is a private company. Still, uh, as far as we have learned, it's now actually serving one-third of the population in the world and it's operating in more than 170 countries and regions. And it has a very good records when it comes to the cyber security. So our hope is that the Canadian government will provide the just, fair and non-discriminatory business environment for Chinese companies, including Huawei. In the last year alone in the United States, 25 China-related arrests happened around espionage and intellectual property through hacking and other means. And the highest uh, intelligence officer in the United States has just described uh, Huawei as, quote, the long-term existential threat to the security of our nation is real. Why should Canada risk alienating its closest ally when the U.S. regards Huawei as an existential threat to their security? I think the decision should be made by the Canadian government. So my perception is that the Canadian government will proceed from its own interest to decide on the next generation of the uh, network. But it is our hope that the Canada, Canadian side will provide fair and just business environment to China, Chinese enterprises, you know, not only Huawei, but other prices, enterprises as well.
Ambassador, I want to thank you for taking the time today on a really important moment in Canada-Chinese relations and in a very serious situation. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, coming up, anti-pipeline demonstrations have impacted thousands of train passengers and commuters across Canada. What does it all mean for the economy and the future of important natural resource projects and Indigenous relations across the country? The Scrum with special guest Pam Palmer and former Stephen Harper, Press Secretary Sarah McIntyre join us. Stay right here with Question Period. These protesters, these activists, may have the luxury of spending days at a time at a blockade, but they need to check their privilege. They need to check their privilege and let people whose job depends on the railway system, and small business, farmers, do their jobs. So what started off as a feud between BC Indigenous groups and the provincial government over the coastal gas link pipeline has spilled over to become a national political crisis. Anti-pipeline demonstrators, of course, marched through the streets in cities from Vancouver, Winnipeg and Ottawa, blocked major railway lines, which are still going on. Via Rail has shut down its entire network. CN closed its Eastern Rail network. All of this after the RCMP started arresting Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and their supporters for holding up that pipeline's construction. So should the demonstrators have the right to impact major aspects of the economy? What does it all mean for the future of natural resource projects? And who has true jurisdiction over this? Lots of questions here. The Scrum is here to find out more. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Bob Fife, Globe and Mail's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Our special guests this round are the Chair of Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University. Pam Palmer is back and the former Press Secretary to Stephen Harper, Sarah McIntyre is here. Good morning to all of you. Um, Bob, let me just start with you on uh, Mark Miller, who we had on the program. Nine-hour meeting with the Mohawks in the Ontario. There's talks going on in B.C., Still, still no real progress. Uh, where does that put the government, what they have to do now? Well, the Prime Minister's got to make a decision. Uh, does he um, encourage or, because he says he's not going to involve with the police, but that somehow send a signal, do they arrest uh, people or do they start to continue to find a solution through talks? The problem he has is that this cannot go on for a long time. It's one thing to be able to have protests that do not disrupt the economy. But right now you have uh, anti-pipeline blockades in eastern and central Ontario, in, in, Can in Ontario, that's shutting down the rail system and doing a lot of economic harm. He can't let that go on for much longer. It'd be even worse if this guy, the Prime Minister, decides to go to the Caribbean on Monday and on Tuesday, Monday. because that would send a very bad message to the Canadians that he'd prefer to gallivant around the world and deal with a very serious problem. The, uh, the political um, perception problem for sure for this government is that there hasn't been since Thursday, two weeks ago, a sense of urgency around there, around the whole issue. Uh, the passenger trains were halted Thursday, what, 10, day, 10 yeah. 11, 12 days ago now? So there, you haven't had a, a senior minister come out in the absence of the prime minister even talk to us about no. what's going on and what they're doing, what steps they're taking to resolve the issue at the heart of it in BC with the BC government. We've heard Premier Horgan step up, but there, Carolyn Bennett hasn't stepped up. When Mark Miller finally went before the cameras over the weekend, who could make any sense of what came of that meeting? Uh, yeah, let me just bring in Pam. Pam, so there was a meeting, nine hours th mm -hmm. on the one blockade. There's meetings going on with the wet sweat in, in British Columbia. Um, at some point, does the blockade have to lift, or what are they? What do you reckon the government's next move ought to be? 
Well, first of all, they sent in the Indigenous Services Minister. That's the minister that takes care of programs and services, 100% unrelated to what it is that we're talking about here. And second of all, from all of the video at the actual site, none of the Mohawks are in breach of any injunction uh, um, at all. If, if you see them, they're actually off the physical tracks. So we're talking about dealing with land. We're talking about dealing with, you know, literally centuries of, of ongoing genocide and there's an urgency to that and and they have been saying that every single flashpoint in this country that's ever happened if you look at Olga or Elsa Bookduk, Gustafson Lake or Ipperwash always over land so this lies directly at the feet of the government and the fact that Prime Minister Trudeau hasn't come down and had a nation-to-nation -nation conversation about land and where we go forward on the land question it, it, that lays at his feet and so he's got to come and hold himself accountable and create this path forward that's what leaders do right now so far the only leaders are the Canadians and indigenous peoples standing uh, in solidarity with this wet soatin across the country Sarah yeah I mean I've the CN's put out statements to the contrary where they've seen protesters actually get on rail cars and they've been uh, tampering with rail equipment which uh, they say uh, they've witnessed and, and those types of things so you know uh, whether or not what do you determine when is it an illegal protest where you actually have law enforcement actually go in and enforce an injunction I mean there's been injunctions that have been in place that have uh, are sitting at the feet of the OPP and they're saying we're not getting involved I mean this is a legacy as I think Pam has mentioned from uh, Ipperwash and, and Oka is you know and it's going to be the law enforcement that's going to wear this as opposed to the political leadership which is you know gallivanting around and shaking hands with the Iranian uh, foreign uh, affairs minister I think at the end of the day for Canadians um, and this is what Trudeau should be paying attention to. At what point are we going to be held hostage to demands that we don't really know specifically what those demands are? I mean, there has been 80% of uh, but you know, people. But there's a different thing going on here. Out in British Columbia, you've got democratically elected, all the democratic elected bands in support of this coastal link pipeline. You have, uh, in fact, uh, some of the uh, many members of the Witzelman people are saying, "Look, this is this is an opportunity for us to have jobs. This, if if this, mm. we don't have this pipeline, we're not going to have the kind of prosperity that we need." They're, they're, these are the people are saying that themselves, democratically elected people saying this. Mm. This got environmental approval. It's got approval by the courts. And who is speaking for the majority? Of the of the this native of these native people, they're the ones who are saying this. We want this pipeline after yeah. extensive consultations, and uh, and I think this is like what it what is the what is the line in the stand other than let's have these another round of nation to nation talks or a uh, first nations uh, uh, meeting again. What to what end? Uh, what specifically well, are, is going to satisfy and who are we looking to satisfy which demands uh, and and Pam I want you to weigh in on that but also yeah. in the midst of this yeah. some of that the, the idea of the the frustration that has has we've seen was boiled over when we just played that clip of Andrew Shearer who told the protesters to check your privilege which had a massive blowback on it certainly from uh, many people what was your reaction to that and that kind of frustration which he says enforce the law get these folks off the off the pipe uh, off the tracks 
Well, I mean, of course that's inflammatory. It's meant to be inflammatory. It's meant to cause division between Canadians and Indigenous peoples because if you look across the country, there's quite a bit of um, solidarity with Canadians. You've got lawyers, academics, teachers, unions, labourers, people who would actually be working on these projects but are standing in support of Indigenous peoples for these unresolved land issues. So him doing that is meant to inflame. It's meant to cause problems when everybody is forgetting about what the legal issues are. And uh, uh, um, ban councils under the Indian Act have no jurisdiction over Aboriginal tidal territory, only the reserve lands, and that's not where the pipeline's going. In the Wet'suwet'en Nation particularly, only those hereditary leaders have jurisdiction to say yes or no over that territory, and they represent thousands of people who support them in their clans and houses, but and they have said no. Pam, actually, you'd probably find among Wet'suwet'en people, people who disagree with what you're stating mm -hmm. is the consensus among them there. Um, in fact, I think actually one of the positive, actually, I think Andrew Shear's comments, they were offensive, and they're quite beside the point, and he's been beside the point in this whole debate this week. But the, one of the more promising developments that we've seen is that the Wet'suwet'en uh, people have agreed to have an all-clans meeting, and they are bringing together their elected band council chiefs and the hereditary yes. chiefs and, and the people. And, 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 and they so they will, they they will figure... Uh, being against the pipeline. Did you see the statements after the feast by the hereditary leaders and people in the Wet'suwet'en? They have reconfirmed their opposition to the pipeline. So we need to focus on what they're saying and not what everybody else is saying. All right, uh, l let me take a break, although there's clearly a split in, in communities across over this, but then what is the way forward? How long can this go on for? And is this a dry run for conflicts over the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the Tech Frontier Mine? We gotta take a break, don't worry, the scrum's back with lots more on this. Stay right here with Question Period. So the protests over the BC Coast Natural Gas Pipeline have paralyzed rail service, disrupted the economy, and but also raised a lot of awareness about the level of unhappiness over multiple issues that many Indigenous nations have. Is this just a preview for protests that might come over natural resource projects like the Trans Mountain Pipeline? And is Justin Trudeau's grand bargain balancing Indigenous reconciliation, environmental concerns, and a growing economy now in jeopardy? The Scrum is back. Tana McCharles is back. So is Bob Fife, Sarah McIntyre and Pam Palmader. Um, Pam, I'll start with you. Is this a preview mm -hmm. of what's to come? This one's not even resolved, but if this is for the coastal gas pipeline, and as Bob pointed out, it's got all those green lights ahead of it, what does this mean for the Trans Mountain Pipeline? Well, of course, this is a sign of things to come because unlike in the past where it was only Indigenous peoples trying to defend their, you know, their Aboriginal title and their right to say no, now Canada also has to account to all of these Canadians who have seen the gross human rights abuses and, and breaches of Native rights and and they are standing beside Indigenous peoples and they also care about things like the environment and they also care about, you know, the false pro economic projections versus what's right. happening in society on the ground. So they have to now answer not just to Indigenous peoples but Canadians and that makes this very different moving forward. Yeah, I think Canadians are going to be asking a very different question and I think protesters, particularly NBC and in Ontario, are, are, are one, have perhaps jumped the shark on this and perhaps any goodwill or understanding 
understanding that they may have for First Nations issues when it comes to dealing with uh, natural resource development or project development is slowly evaporating and it will completely crash this week as you see uh, ports backed up, as you see ships turned away, as you see essential goods not being delivered, as you see farmers not getting their grain to market. This is going to have international uh, implications for Canada and long lasting. Uh, what, what type of uh, importer would you be if you wanted to ship something uh, to Canada and have your ship turned around and sh sent down to Seattle for er any amount of days that we don't know. And this costs money. And so it also costs right. to our reputation as to whether or not we're a worthy and uh, reliable trading partner. You know, I think what I think is really important uh, is that w this drives home the point that the necessity, the absolute necessity of making sure that First Nations people are involved in resource development, that they have a, a financial stake in that and you know the fact that we're talking now about having uh, indigenous uh, uh, groups have an ownership stake in TMX is important a lot of oil companies over the last 15 years have realized that their uh, past policy of just uh, uh, having these pipelines or mine projects without much involvement of First Nations people is completely wrong. That they've got to have job training, they've got to have financial sharing of the resource wealth, they've got to have education. All of these things are actually happening, and but it has to happen at a much but quicker it, pace. But, it, but it's, it's difficult when, in a case like what we're dealing with with the Wetsuwet'en people, the company, except that, the company except that they've got all the consult. support of the people. They, they, well, they, they don't, and they the tried to consult 40 times with the hereditary chiefs and the hereditary chiefs refuse to meet with the company. So what's the litmus so test for approval? Okay, oh, okay, but true. hang on. But, but let me just ask about just switching quickly to the political side for Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Now he's he comes home from this, what, nine-day trip in Europe and Africa and the Middle East. Now he may go away to... Uh, the Caribbean. The Caribbean on Monday, we're not sure, t tomorrow. But what? this is now a big crisis for him. What does he have to figure out right now? Or is his entire mandate, this so-called grand bargain, in jeopardy, Tom? Well, I think I think he, what's at risk is public support for his grand bargain on both the climate change energy reconciliation project. Um, but he has a chance, I think, to show some leadership and to get involved and to accept, as Pam has been saying, that the question of rights and title is an issue for the federal government, the federal crown. It's not something you hive off to the provinces. So he has to step up. I think it would be politically very silly for him to swan off to the Caribbean in the midst of all of this, for all of the reasons we've been talking about. It's an important issue for the indigenous people. It's very important for the economy and for his own political project. Uh, Pam, you can weigh in, but has Justin Trudeau, he said the Indigenous file is his most important file. Is he losing trust or is this a, is this a fundamental litmus test right now? Oh, of course, this is a major litmus test. The first test came when the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls said Canada's guilty of ongoing genocide and we need an urgent action plan, and he failed to take action. And now this is the second one because this is about land rights and title. This is about the nation-to-nation -nation relationship that he promised. This is about him basing reconciliation, which he said first and foremost on the recognition of our rights and title. And so if he chooses to, to make the UN 
Security Council seat more important than this nation-to-nation -nation relationship. Not only is he showing Canadians that he's not a leader, but he's showing the world that he can't lead his own country, the so why on earth should he be on the Security Council? All right, so does he have a choice between the Justin Trudeau who can negotiate and listen, but as Bob said earlier, the clock's ticking, Sarah, because of the economic situation, or does he finally have to have what his father had, a just-watch-me moment, and maybe do what some are saying, make somebody enforce the law? Well, I think he's got to take some tough decisions, which uh, Justin Trudeau is always loath to do because he doesn't want to take a, a hard line one way or the other. Is he going to say the rule of law is important and we need to follow these injunctions? Or is it uh, we have to have 100% complete unanimous agreement from First Nations before any project can go forward in Canada? And, and, and that is that something that is saleable? But is that saleable to the rest of Canada? Is that reasonable? That's a false binary choice. He's not, um, he's not going to order the police mm -hmm. to do anything. That's ridiculous. He can't do it. It's a democracy. He's not not about to go around he, ordering the RCMP but he can order to arrest his, this one and his, not that uh, one. And attorney what? General gonna, not to prosecute the, the SNC-Lavalin. Like, he said cherry it's picks ridiculous. when he wants to get involved. That's not the way <laughs> democratic government functions. He's not going to or start ordering the RCMP to arrest so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Ontario Provincial Police has jurisdiction in Ontario yes. over this event. They have pushed back. They said they are engaged in this. So Trudeau's not going to get, but where he ought to get engaged is in the talks between BC and the Wet'suwet'en. He needs to put some skin in the game there. And, and Bob, just meantime, he's been traveling. There was that picture, I, we got to mention it, when he shook yeah. hands with the foreign minister of I Iran. They're trying to negotiate things, but, and we've shook got the picture. He bowed before. He bowed. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he bowed his head, they, he did the double hand. What did that do, that handshake versus what's going on in Canada? How has that played out? Well, look, it's a slap on the face to the, the victims uh, in the Ukrainian flight. Um, I mean, we have 57 Canadians and 29 uh, permanent residents. I mean, that is, you can imagine how the families feel about that. I think it's it's fine for him to have uh, to have talked to the foreign minister. I think it was a mistake from the Harper government to have cut off diplomatic relations with Iran. You may not like the countries you're dealing with, but you have to have diplomatic relations so you can talk. So it was fine for the prime minister to do that. But the way he went, went about it, it looked like he was groveling in front of this guy. And we have Canadians who are being victims of that flight. And I think that's, that's another thing with, that hurts him as he comes back to Canada to face this pretty serious economic crisis the country is facing and now he's got that as well all right last word uh, look, I, I think the headline in the National Post yesterday was it. You know, you know we're leaderless. We're a nation in, in crisis, and our, and our leaders over uh, uh, gallivanting in, in Europe for the UN Security Council seat that no one cares about. Tana, I, I think that you know this is a real test of Justin Trudeau's political skills, both on two foreign files, Iran and China and on the indigenous front. These are major political issues and, uh, and he tech, needs to be present. resources, right. which is gonna yeah. be a big issue. All right, lots going on, I gotta wrap it there. Uh, thanks so much, Pam Palmer, Sarah McIntyre, great to have you both as special guests, Tond and Bob, great to have you back. And thank all of you for watching. We will be back here in seven short days as we watch these situations unfold. Take care.